gentlemen, let's talk about Thrones. Wait, what, gentlemen? What's that all about? All right, well, if I remember correctly, I think that I am Sir Richard of Winterfell. I am joined, as always, by Sir Anthony of someplace I don't remember. <laughs> of, of the very same Winterfell from which you claim. Oh, well, it's from the same place. Great. Well, you know, I like no, to move. See, I thought, Richard, I thought you were from The Reach or something like that. Definitely not I have Winterfell. No idea. He's a nomad. I have no uh, idea. Richard and the that nomad. voice is standing in for Jenny on this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. That voice, in case you don't know it, is Sir Kent of Casterly Rock. Oh, I'll go with that. <laughs> Sir Kent of Casterly Rock. Now, or I could be Sir Kent of Castamere. Ooh. I don't, well, I don't know where Castamere is, though. I just know the song. Mm. I do, actually. Is that not just a certain amount of evil? <laughs> <laughs> I think either one would. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Richard, these, these are two of the episodes we told you about. Me and uh, Jenny and I had, had warned you several times that this would be a set of episodes that would change the overall view of, of the, land, the, the, the political landscape, the, the, the Game of Thrones, as it were. Um, Indeed. Real quick, how accurate was that? No, I think it was entirely accurate. A, a lot happens in these episodes that uh, not just the the wedding scene, which I'm sure we'll spend a bunch of time talking about. I suspected from the talk that we had that this was probably the Red Wedding that I've heard so much about, but tried to avoid getting any details about. But that is really just one of a multitude of things that occurred that have the potential to completely change, <laughs> sorry for the pun, the game. Mm. Yeah. I, I look at these two episodes, especially 310, and this is where the series kind of changes. The focus kind of shifts from these petty squabbling between houses to the real threat to Westeros. Yeah, not that the squabbling doesn't continue because it definitely does. <laughs> uh, but and but the, there's a lot of squabbling in these two episodes, uh, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. So to summarize, in in these episodes, we with three or nine, we're basically at a point where uh, Rob makes a decision with his mother's uh, kind of graces and advice that he should go and uh, get the army that he needs. So he goes and he apologizes to the phrase and believes that they're making good on a truce where he, in fact, uh, offers up, what is that, his cousin to marry one of their daughters or granddaughters? That's his uncle. That's his yeah. uncle. So Rob's okay. uncle. It's uh, it, his mother Catalan's brother. Brendan. Okay. Or, uh, okay. no, I'm sorry. This is, uh, it's not Brendan. Brendan's the blackfish. This is, um, yep. And his name just escaped me. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, right. Exactly. So it's Edmure. Is Edmure, it not? Yes. Ed, yes. Edmure Tolly. That's him. All right. So we, a lot, a lot of other stuff is going on in here, but basically we get to the red wedding where it finds out, we find out that they're duped. And it's basically a slaughter mm. of 
um, uh, of the uh, Stark army and family and everybody involved there. And in a side story, we have Arya and the Hound who are on their way there and they have lots of conversation and they get there just while all of this is happening. Mm -hmm. And she basically gets to witness the, the exterior of this horrific event and then gets whisked away so that she doesn't really have to bear any more of it because it's pretty horrific. Right. Meanwhile, we have other stuff going on with, Bram, who uh, apparently has the ability not just to control animals, but people. And so he decides that he needs to get north of the wall and save everybody somehow. God knows how that's going to happen. Um, along the way, they meet Sam and uh, his girl, Gilly, and they end up basically helping them get across the wall. They get north while Sam's come south. And Jamie finds his way home, and Daenerys has liberated yet more slaves who are eternally grateful. But how's that for a summary? That sounds about right. That's pretty. Yeah, oh, right. That's pretty spot. Oh yeah, right. And remember Theon's dick? Yeah, they sent that <laughs> home to his dad in a box. <laughs> yeah, we alluded to that last week with uh, with what was going on, and. I don't know. I, I still think this is the point where I start to feel sorry for Theon just the slightest bit. Still not. Um, still not. He's, uh, he's, he's, and he finally gets his name Reek. Um, that's, that's the thing that happens. Let's start with the Red Wedding and then move on from there and just go group by group. All right. Yeah. That sounds I th- great. I think it makes sounds the most good. sense. Let's go ahead and get the cat out of the bag with the Red Wedding. Um, Everybody dies. <laughs> well, everybody on the Stark yeah. side dies. How's that? I, I think yes. it's. I think this is. There's certain things that I noticed this time that I didn't notice last time I watched it with with Catelyn. Uh, she witnessed the knight go through the middle of the crowd and close the door and seal it from the inside. Yes, and uh, like as soon I didn't I didn't quite get what was going on. Like I didn't know it was this the the wedding was mm-hmm. this the thing that I've heard so much about. The closing the doors was one clue. And then she has the wherewithal. And damn, she's a smart woman. Yeah. And she pulls up the sleeve of Bruce Bolton and sees the chainmail. Yep. And immediately knows that it's a dupe. Yep. Hey, this, there's so much foreshadowing lead, leading up to this between Bruce Bolton telling the story about how he'd gotten incredibly rich by marrying the fat fray. You know, um, other other scenes where death is mentioned in direct line with the Starks, but not at the Starks. And you kind of, if you didn't know, Richard, when when if you didn't know something big was going to happen right here, it it would really amaze me because it's <laughs> it's foreshadowed so heavily this entire episode. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, if I didn't know about the Red Wedding, I probably would have been completely blindsided by this. So I have not been watching episode by episode all the way through the first three seasons to, to keep up with you guys. I, I in fact just watched 309 and 310 uh, last night and this, the first game of Thrones I've watched in quite a few months. Mm. Uh, so I don't <laughs> remember if my, I, I'm not sure if my memory is accurate here. 
is this the first time that you've heard the song The Reigns of Castamere? Or because no. my memory says that we've heard this is like the third time it's been in the show. It is in fact the third time. The first time was as music at the end of the episode, which was a break from the norm. Mm, um, mm, mm. And the second time is when they were singing it at the Battle of Blackwater. Actually, I think that was the first time was at the Battle of Blackwater. Okay. Yeah. Now, was there a scene where they explained what the Reigns of Castamere is? Like what that song means? Because I know it was, it was very, it was covered thoroughly in the books. And I yeah, cannot if there remember. There was, was, I missed it. So the Reigns of Castamere is a song written about an event that uh, basically put Tywin Lannister on the map of being uh, a force to be dealt with. Uh, there was a house, uh, what was it? House Spicer, whose seat of power was was Castle Castamere. So they were they were the Spicers of Castamere, and one of uh, Tywin's father. So Tywin's father was the like the uh, lord of Casterly Rock at the time. And one of the minor lords in the family was being betrayed by this house, Spicer. Uh, They're basically like, you know, you tax us too much. You, you know, whatever. We're, we're not messing with you guys anymore. And so Tywin's father told Tywin, hey, why don't you go handle that for me? So Tywin said, okay, um, fuck these guys. Basically went into their house, put the entire family in the house, and burnt it to the ground, and thus destroying House Spicer. Like, there's only remnants of House Spicer remaining. And, um, yeah, so so Castamere was burnt to the ground, like, basically raised, and the family all but wiped off the face of the planet. And... um. Yeah, that was that was basically Tywin Lannister's uh, entrance onto the world stage. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah, that does sound very familiar. Um, and, and it makes it even more appropriate as you find out after the Red Wedding that Roose Bolton basically betrayed the Starks in an effort of or uh, uh, with an alliance uh, with Tywin Lannister. Essentially, he's now the warden. He's been named warden of the north, and right. probably got a nice bounty out of it. And now, Rob Stark, Catelyn Stark, and pretty much everybody in the everyone of prominence in the Stark army, with the exclusion of the Blackfish, yep. are dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. The well, the Blackfish got away, and also uh, Edmure himself. Uh, was upstairs bedding his new wife. Right, so he's he's uh, in the dungeons now. Yeah, yeah. He was Were he was they? in the act. I thought, okay. I was not aware for some reason, and this is probably weirder than it really was, but I had this weird impression when they got everybody together and started chanting to bed, to bed, to bed that they were actually like going at it over in one corner of the room with everybody there. Mm. So a Westeros Like that's tradition. the impression that they gave. Right. Yeah. Well, they took them out the doors, the, the, the doors that, that Amos alluded to earlier that the, the knight or the guard went and closed later. Those doors were open uh, because they, they carried the, the bride and groom 
through there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Somehow so, I missed them going out through there. Okay. So so the betting ritual in Westeros is it's a tradition where uh, right after the vows are exchanged, the men that are you know attending the wedding grab the young bride and carry mm-hmm. her up the stairs to the bedroom, all the while removing pieces of clothing from her and probably touching her inappropriately, et cetera. And then the women that are present for the wedding grab the groom and do basically the same thing. Typically, like as, right. as portrayed in the show, they didn't pick him up because he's, you know, a right. big, burly man. Uh, but they usher him along and all the while removing his clothing so that the idea is that by the time they reach the bed, they're both naked and they, be, they can begin copulating in front of the wedding witnesses so that it's no, it's, it's known that the marriage has been consummated. Okay. And so that's why I got that impression that there were witnesses because they talked about how, how else would we know that it has been consummated? Right. So there are in theory, several people up there, maybe even some from the Stark family that could be witnesses up there that were not a part of this slaughter necessarily. As far as we know, the dining hall slaughter. Right. But as, but there was an exterior slaughter as well, right? The troops basically got slaughtered as well. Right. Uh, what, what, what that was, was, um, the phrase provided plentiful wine to the troops outside of the towers. Um, yep. So they would be nice and drunk, and then once the dining room slaughter was finished, they came out and announced that, and all the Frey um, loyalists went ahead and slaughtered all the Stark and Tully right. loyalists. So in in the book, the way they did it, all the music that was coming from the wedding hall could be heard throughout the, the courtyard, and everyone was told, like all of the Frey army was basically told that when you hear the reigns of Castamere begin playing... That's the signal to begin the song. Okay. All right. So. Got it. And so, you know, you had asked if I could record my kind of uh, my watching of this so you can see my expression, which I shared with you earlier. Uh, There were two moments in there that really, actually probably three moments. Uh, The first when I can never remember the name of Rob's wife, but when they they basically stab Rob's wife right in the gut too, right after they're talking about having a baby, how delightful was that? That was yep. pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously shocked me. I knew that there was something terribly wrong. I didn't, but they just like went right for it. Like they held nothing back there. Mm-hmm. Then there's a scene outside shortly after that where there's uh, a wolf that is that is barking in his cage and one of the you know the guards are like oh kill it and we actually see aria witness the wolf getting killed getting shot with an arrow basically yeah and several I, I think arrows. Yeah. i think i probably had a more severe reaction to that than I did any of the people that got killed. Right. <laughs> and then finally, I don't know why I didn't expect it to come, but I also for some reason thought Catalan was going to 
manage to get out of this mm. and uh, her getting sliced open also just kind of uh, really shocked me because I wasn't expecting that either. Yeah. So and her performance in that scene was incredible. Oh, she was wonderful. Right. Yeah, she was absolutely I, wonderful. I actually took note that when, when uh, whichever Frey it is, I know the, the, the Frey, which one it is, is named, and I can't remember which one it was, but whichever Frey it is that goes up behind uh, Catelyn and slices her throat as she's standing there screaming about the death of Rob, she doesn't reach up to like hold her throat or anything. It's it's almost like a uh, like a blessing. It's almost like a, a you know she's she's welcoming the death because she doesn't. There's no action on her part at all to you know hold the hold the blood. You know the, your typical reaction when you get when people get sliced in the throat is to hold their neck or whatever. You know like oh what? she she basically just took the slice and let it go. Well, and if you think about it, she has nothing left to live for, right? Right, because according she's to her, lost as far as she knows. Everyone in her family, right, right, yep. So, um, but it just overall the the whole scene is acted very well from Walder Frey to Roos Bolton to um, Catelyn Stark and, and Rob Stark, even uh, the, to Lisa, the wife that we can never mm-hmm. remember the name of. Um, I mean, it just it, it's a really great scene. It's set up beautifully. All the foreshadowing that goes into it, it's really wonderful. Although it is absolutely tragic. What's funny yeah. is that I this was not the wedding that I expected this to happen mm. uh, during for whatever reason I had managed to convince myself that this would happen at Joffrey's wedding. Um, that obviously is not the case. The other thing that struck me is just how gritty the whole wedding venue itself was. And I didn't expect that either. I don't know why. Uh, the the Did, twin When towers. you say gritty, you just mean like it's uh, you know, dark and dirty and... Dank and dirty and yeah. 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 It's, it's such a contrast to the last... Weird ass wedding we saw. <laughs> well, if I remember right, you're talking about Tyrion and, and Sansa. Yeah, right. In, in yeah. the, uh, so in the their, but their wedding was oh. outdoors during the day, right? Wasn't no, it? it? It was indoors at the 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 Tower of the Seven. Oh yeah, there's so many weddings in this show. Yeah, no, no, you're you're thinking. Okay, so disregard. The next wedding is in the sunlight. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, disregard. The, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you're right, Richard, but I think this was probably the more accurate portrayal of like what a medieval nighttime wedding would look like. Yep. No, I, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. But yeah. I'm watching the scene and, and just kind of looking around the different things going on in the wedding hall and – Oddly enough, and I don't know why I thought of this, but it it brought back memories of scenes from Beowulf, Hmm. which just kind of had that same dank medieval group mob party think feel to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Go ahead, Amos. Sorry. One one of the things that I noticed about this is 
there was a lot of buildup to Tyrion and Sansa's wedding. It's shot very well. Um, it's very well lit. Even though it's a dark room, you can still see what's going on. It's Somehow the, I didn't even realize a wedding was coming, right, even the, for that. The, the ceremony <laughs> itself is... It, like they, they take you through the steps very carefully to where you, you once you know that's what the wedding is, okay, well, now I know what a wedding is. We can move on. In this one, since you've already seen that, this is very cut and dry. There's no extra stuff. It, the wedding is literally... Uh, Walter Frey brings his daughter down, presents his daughter. Um, the the marriage itself is the priest wrapping, you know, wrapping some uh, or the septon or whatever, wrapping the bands, the the white cloth around their hands, right. the tying of the knot, and them saying basically what amounts to a prayer. And that's it. They're they're now wedding. They're wedded. That's it. They're, they're okay. Move on with life. Um, but they could only do that because they had already taken you through the elaborate steps of the last one. And mm-hmm. what that does is it cuts down some of the time that you're spending on the scene and really allows that scene to move forward in a very smooth fashion until you get to the massacre itself. Yeah, tension was building through that entire scene. I remember watching it the first time, and I'd already read the book by that point, so I kind of knew where they were going. Mm-hmm. But I had the same experience the second time I watched it as I did the first time. Like, once that scene begins... Like I, there's just a pit in my stomach and it just keeps growing and growing. I, I know what's going to happen, but I still am just nervous. That, yep. Oh God, what's coming? Even though I know my gut is, I don't know, reacting like it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're bounding into the unknown, uh, haphazardly, you know, yeah. and it's, oh, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking to watch that. Now, Unless there's something more you guys want to say about that, uh, I'd like to move on to Arya because it ties I, in so very closely. Yep. Well, I have a couple yep. of pieces of trivia. I have a couple of pieces of trivia from from uh, differences in the book. If anyone's interested, of I can course. skip. That okay. Up, uh, yeah. So, so you were talking about Talisa having a name that you can't remember. It's hard for me to remember that name because that's not even a character right. in the book. Um, Rob's wife in the book. A Storm of Swords was Jane Westerling, who was uh, a daughter of a, a minor lord that was a Lannister bannerman. So during Rob's like uh, attack or his campaign, I guess in the south, uh, he was basically just like you know taking land, taking land, taking land, and defeating Lannister forces. One of the Lannister forces that he defeated was uh, you know House Westerling. And during that battle, Rob was injured, so he needed to be nursed. And uh, Jane, who ends up being Rob's wife, her mother and her mother's brother are in talks in league with Tywin Lannister. And they concoct this plan of let's put our pretty daughter into the room with Rob as his nurse and hope nature takes its course. And they fall in love, et cetera, et cetera. It actually worked perfectly. And that was the, the, the whole idea was to piss off Walter Frey with Rob marrying someone, not his daughter. It was this elaborate plan that actually worked perfectly. Um, and, and in fact, um, it, it worked so well that the Lannisters rewarded the Westerlings after this happened. Now, to be clear... Um, Jane, Rob's wife, was not 
aware of what was going on. So her falling in love with Rob was natural and real. Um, but it was, uh, like set in place by, by her mother, her uncle and Tywin Lannister. Um, uh, weird. Uh, just so, a point of order here. If, if that's one of multiple points of trivia, we have an hour total. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. This is the longest one to explain. This is the longest one to explain. So anyway, so, so it works so well and the Westerlings were rewarded by the Lannisters by, uh, their reward was to get Castamere. They're now the lords of Castamere oh, wow. because mm. of that playing <laughs> out. So that was a that was a neat piece of trivia. Did um, actually, I'm not going to cover that one because uh, that's something I don't think has been in the show yet. Um, oh, and also the other the other piece of that is that Jane wasn't even present at the twins for the red wedding. She was safe at River Run during the massacre, mm. and she was also not oh, pregnant. Interesting. Okay. So she's huh. still alive and well in the books. Well, I don't know about well, but she's definitely alive. <laughs> Inconsequential either way, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so uh, far, anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your next one? Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Because the, the rest of what I wrote down, I, I'm pretty sure has not been covered in the show yet. And I'll, I'll save that. No Fair spoilers. Well, yeah. One of them isn't, isn't a spoiler necessarily. It just, it, it's sad because it doesn't happen. Um, Lady Stoneheart, that that whole line. Is- okay, yep. Lady, St- oh, right. I will. I will say one, one more little one. Um, when Catalan takes the hostage, basically uh, in um, uh, in the wedding hall there, and it was Walter's wife in the mm-hmm. show. He says, "I'll, I'll mm-hmm. kill her uh, unless you spare Rob." Well, in the mm-hmm. book, it wasn't Walter's wife. It was his grandson. Uh, Egan, Eamon, which one was it? What was his name? Yeah. Uh, uh, Egan Frey, and it's Walter's Lackwit grandson. So basically, he you know had Downs or something like that, where uh, he wasn't all there mentally. So they used him as a court jester, yeah, because he was just kind of like a you know a dancing fool, uh, and they called him Jingle Bell. So <laughs> Catalan's hostage was Jingle Bell, and she. Cut jingle bells through. <laughs> hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So Arya, Arya wants to arrive. She gets in a tiff with um, with the Hound about not killing a farmer, a pig farmer. They end up not killing him, but stealing his cart, using the cart as a decoy to get to the twins. A dead mouse doesn't squeak. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the Hound said to Arya. <laughs> And witnesses the whole slaughter, especially the slaughter of the of the wolf. Mm. And the hound basically grabs her and starts taking her out of there. That's pretty much Arya's story for that part. But this is a <laughs> this this is a turning point for Arya though. This is a huge like a mindset shift for Arya. Because right after this she hears some assumingly fray people uh, talking about how they killed Rob and how they mounted uh, uh, the direwolf head on Rob's body and sewed it on and this and that. And she takes no mercy and slaughters the crap out of the dude talking. Yeah. In, in a, in a root, in a rudimentary kind of undisciplined way. Right. And, and I thought to myself, wow, that was kind of sloppy. And then we find out, well, and of course this is true. I don't know why this surprised me that that was the first person she ever killed. 
Well, it was the first man she'd ever killed because she okay. killed the stable boy who tried oh, to yeah, give yeah, her crap yeah, right. at, at uh, King's that's Landing. Right. Yeah, this was the first cold-blooded murder, though. She, yeah. You could argue the stable boy was in self-defense. Yep. This was murder. Yeah. Yep. And I, I like how the hound said, you let get me knife? know the next time oh, you do yeah. that. And he's like, he's like Where, where'd you get the knife? And she's like, oh, From it's you. yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just overall, I think our, this is this is the, the arc of Arya has taken yet another turn. It's about 30 degrees to the left of wherever it was before. And this is one of the most exciting stories to be told in Game of Thrones, in my opinion. Well, and it's it further hardening her. The other thing that's really interesting, you know, they obviously took a lot of time to kind of discuss or or show the odd relationship between those two. And that Arya thinks she knows the Hound, but she doesn't really and do we really and so they learn a little bit more about each other no no i can barely see your head in this screen but i think i see you shaking and saying no and it's i think all of the repartee between them in this episode is wonderful i would argue that the dialogue that we got between people to build relationships in these two episodes is probably some of the best that we've had up to this point. Yeah. yeah and Arya tells the hound one day, I'm going to stick a dagger through the, through the, through your eye or into your eye and through your skull or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And he can completely blows her off. But if you watch his face, uh, gosh, I wish I remember the actor's name, but he, he does it so well. He's like, yeah, whatever. And then at the same time, his face is, is like, Oh, she yeah, just like, said that. I, she like, means it. I think she. I think he believes her that she will. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's absolutely. almost foreshadowing. Um, and and then at the same time, we have him basically knocking her out to kind of spare her having to witness mm-hmm. any more of the atrocity that's happening to her family. Yeah. It, yeah. How tragic is it that she was present for the murder of her father? She was present for the murder of her mother, for her older brother. Like all of her horribly killed family, she has been present for it. Mm -hmm. She's the only person that's been present for all of that. And the Starks are whittling down. Like there's there's nary a Stark left to be found at this (laughs) point. Nary a Stark. Um, you got Arya, who everybody believes is dead. You've got Brandon Ricken, who everyone believes is dead. John, who no one believes is a Stark. Like it's, you know, like the, the, yep. you got and, Sansa and, left, and she's barely a shell of a woman at this point. Like she's really been, and, yeah, she's basically well, she's a Lannister now. Yeah, yeah, she's she's been broken down so much. She's now a Lannister, and but this is the first time we've actually seen like joy on her face she's she laughs in this episode a couple times yeah and so again the relationship building that they do in these episodes between Sansa and Tyrion is wonderful Mm. right like he's he's made his intentions clear that he is going to honor her and you know not for lack of a better word defile her Mm. and that 
you know, he's in this because he has to be just like she is. And he totally gets that and he'll respect her and they're becoming friends. And I think that's kind of amazing. Who would have thought that Tyrion would be good at easing a woman's uh, mind? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and it's funny because they talk very candidly with each other where she kind of says, oh, well, you have this reputation for, and and he kind of comes back with some quick remarks, too, about, um, I don't even remember what they were. But again, it's just like this, this real candor where they're kind of letting each other see into the other person <laughs> and gaining trust with each other. And all now, of this in front of Shay. <laughs> And all of this in right. front of Shay, who has a moment of her own later. Uh, let's well, let's put a pin in that for a second. Before we do, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more too. But there's there's a a wonderful scene between Tywin and Tyrion, mm. and he basically tells her, "You will," or tells him, "You will have." a child with Sansa because you must, the country depends on it. Right. And Uh it's more important than the fact that you care about her and don't want to hurt her. Did she overhear all that? Uh, Did Sansa overhear that conversation? Yes. Because I would say absolutely not because that was, that took place in the, in the small council chamber. Uh, which is quite a distance from where like Sansa's chamber would be. Okay. But the shot immediately after that, and this is probably an editing mistake, but the shot immediately after that is um, Tyrion entering Sansa's chamber to talk to her. And she's look, she's sitting wistfully looking through a a window ish thing as if she was looking outside it. Yeah. So I think to give, to give that scene context, I think we need to, I think we need to back up a little bit. Uh, So Tyrion was summoned to the small council to receive some news. Mm -hmm. And that news was the, basically the red wedding. Right. Right. This was, this was, Joffrey wanting to announce to everyone that Rob Stark is dead. He he, want, he wants them to ship his head down so Joffrey can mount Rob Stark's head on or uh, present Rob Stark's head to Sansa at Joffrey and Marjorie's wedding. Yes, and he wants to make her eat it literally. Like <sighs> yes, what a fucking okay. Uh, I. <clears throat> I wanted to jump through the screen and pummel that kid's face so Mm -hmm. hard. This this goes again. Jack Gleason plays Joffrey just perfectly. Perfect. Perfectly. He's more of a horrible monster in the show than he is in the book even. And I hated him in the book. Yeah. Yes. Jack Gleason is Jack. Is that his name? Jack? I'm pretty sure it's Jack Gleason. Um, yeah, anyway, he's a uh, perfect, perfect, perfect performance as Joffrey. I was so, I was so mad. And then the glee at which he presented the news to oh, yeah. Tyrion. Um, and then <laughs> the, at the suggestion of, I'm going to feed Rob's head to Sansa at my wedding and how he's just like, you know, yay, yay me for having such a wonderful idea. Right. And it reminds you, it reminds you of the, the Aaron boy. 
Lysa's son when he's he's up there like oh. throw the throw the throw the bad man out the window yeah, or whatever. Sweet, like sweet Robin. Yeah. 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 Uh yeah. Except much, much, much worse. And yes, it's Jack uh, Gleason. Okay, yeah. So this this triggered Tyrion to respond to Joffrey with a threat. He basically said, uh, first of all, no, you're not going to do that. And second, if you attempt it, uh, without actually saying I'm going to kill you, I'm telling you that I'm going to kill you. Uh, he, 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 tells, he tells Joffrey, uh, Tyrion tells Joffrey, Sansa is no longer your toy to play with. Right. Yeah, and he then he follows that up with something along the lines of of kings are becoming more and more scarce. Yeah, something. yeah, King, kings have a way of oh, dying yeah, yeah, these yeah. days. That was that yeah. was awesome actually. And then of course everybody has to pander to Joffrey, who has his panties in a wad now, and he's all upset. So everybody Until, talks him down, and Tywin does the best job <laughs> of talking him down <laughs> by sending him to his room. He sent him to bed. He sent the king to bed, and then he sent said, the king "Give him to some, bed without his dinner." Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and then sent him, and then uh, told uh, the, the maester to get, get, send him some uh, him some drugs, some nightshade or whatever to help him sleep. Like, yes, let's just drug his ass. Like, this is the old oh, you're the baby's being awful. Throw a little whiskey on his lips and call it a night. Like yes. that's what this so, is. <laughs> he had a moment. He had a moment where he screamed, "I am the king." Yeah. And Tywin said, no man or no king ever has to tell people I am the king. Yeah. The, the, uh, a man who sa- who has to tell people he's the king is no king. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and then uh, then he sent him to bed and then he had the most three-year-old tantrum. He may have even been stomping his foot when he screamed, I am not tired. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he still was led out of this small council yep. chamber to his room, presumably yep. <laughs> with a little bit of nightshade and off to La La Land. That was awesome. Uh, that was just, that was just awesome. Baby, baby Joffrey went. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Uh, just, there was so much good stuff there and God, we haven't even gotten into all the stuff that happens so we need to kind of motor a little bit more all right let's um what do we what do we want to talk about next uh, uh i want to talk about Ram and sam and everybody else that he encounters or daenerys or i want to wrap up the to- lannister line because I, I really want to talk at least briefly about the conversation that cersei had with with Tyrion. Yeah. About oh, again, children. another, another honest conversation from Cersei where you just see that she is a tortured soul. And that is why she is how she is. She's just trying to deal with it all. I'm, I'm just going to go on record and say that anytime you have Lena Headley and uh, Peter Dinklage in the same room, magic is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Period. Dot. End yeah. of story. Because these yeah. two actors we'll are so good together; they play off they each are. other so. And a lot of this might be tricks of editing or whatever else, because you know there's a lot of cut scenes between dialogue and this and that. But the the pre, their presentation, the emotion that she shares, she she shares more emotion with Tyrion than anyone else. But she hates him so much. Like he's yep. he's simultaneously like this this comforting blanket and this hate sponge at, you know, it, it, it's just so, yep. 
I love every scene that Cersei and Tyrion are in together. And I think, you know, you, you're absolutely right. Those two actors have a chemistry. And I think that might be because they're best friends in real life. Mm. This oh, is what, what Viola just said in the uh, in the chat room, which yeah. is which is oh, funny because wow. on the show, Tyrion's best friend is Bronn, who used to date Lena Headley, and now they're not allowed to be on the same <laughs> set at the same time as each other. <laughs> so amazing. I'm sure uh, that, I'm but, sure that's fun to have drinks with on, on uh, after so, the shoot. <laughs> so what I was getting at saying that that I love every scene that they're in together. This out of all of them, I think this is my favorite scene of those two characters together, because this is this is an example of Cersei being honest and open and not hateful. I've said I have long said that Cersei Lannister has only one redeeming quality, and mm-hmm. that is the love she has for her children. Mm-hmm. That love is genuine and real yep. and beautiful. But that's it. The rest of <laughs> everything else about her is terrible. <laughs> right. Um, but she says the sweetest thing to Tyrion about about her children and how sweet Joffrey was as you know her first child. And how he was so perfect and made life worth living, and that Tyrion should give Sansa a baby so that she has a chance of being happy as well. Yep. And that's probably the sweetest thing that Cersei says in all of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> but all yeah. that being said, as much as she loves her children, and you might think that she might be blind to what her children do, like that might be negative or whatever, she. She's absolutely aware that yeah. Joffrey is a fucking monster. She offhandedly admits that he's just completely cuckoo. Like, and, yep. and she, oh yeah. And I say offhanded, like it's not something that she says tongue in cheek. She just doesn't come out and say he's a monster. She says everything but that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and Richard, she's not blind to it. Right, Richard. If you enjoy the the Peter Dinklage, Lena Headley scenes. Start soaking them in because they're going to come to an end very soon. <laughs> okay. Like at that. Least, well, at least for a while. There's there's going to be a break. Th- that relationship uh, deteriorates quickly. Okay. <laughs> going into next season. Um, okay. And uh, so real quick, uh, Shay, this conversation that Shay has with Varys about they're both from from Volantis or whatever. He's trying to give her... They're both, well, be, they're both from Essos. Essos yeah, so yeah. they're foreigners in, in Westeros. He's trying to give her a bag of diamonds, saying, here, you can go have a good life on this bag of diamonds. Go do that, because Tyrion is the only man smart enough... The only man in the Seven Kingdoms smart enough to bring the kingdom to heal and bring restore it to peace, uh, and you're a distraction. That's essentially what it said, and she throws the diamonds at his feet and stomps off. Yeah, and she yeah. believes that that Tyrion set that up when Tyrion actually had no idea that was going on. Right. Now, see, I didn't catch that. I didn't get the impression that she thought Tyrion set it up. Well, I, the last thing she says to Varys was he didn't even basically he didn't even have the balls to come tell yeah. me that himself. If he wants me to leave, then well, he can tell what, me that himself. Right, right. What, he, what she says is, if he wants me to leave, he can tell me himself. I didn't ah. realize that that meant that she thought that he sent ah. that message. And what it told me is, you know, I've I've never really trusted Varys. I don't really like Varys. I don't like that he's as sneaky and backhanded and devious as he is. 
But the scene reinforces what you've been saying all along, Anthony, which is that his allegiance above and beyond everything else is is uh, to the to the the people, to yeah. the kingdom. Yep. Mm. And and not even to the people, but to the kingdom. The idea of this this uh, intangible thing called the kingdom. That's what his allegiance is to. Because he, he's he's not above squishing the little people or letting the the high lords, you know, kill each other. Whatever else, his allegiance right. is is specifically to the kingdom. Right, and well, and I would say to the people as a greater. Um, as an idea, like the, the people, right. But like individual, individual persons. Well, if you're in my way, yeah, well, I'm going to make you not in my way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. So now where to, all right. So two, two, basically, uh, well, maybe three, two or three big storylines still left to go. We have the whole Daenerys thing, Mm -hmm. freeing, yet more slaves. We have the Bram and Sam and everybody else they encounter, uh, and which includes John. And then we have the John running away and the encounter with what's her name? Egret. Egret. Thank you. And then returning back home to night's watch, mm, uh, to the night's watch to the extent that that's home. I know you won't shoot me because I love you and I know that you love me. Her response, (laughs) you know nothing, Jon Snow. Mm. (laughs) And then she shoots him and cries. She shoots him three times as he's fleeing. Once as he's still, as he turns away from the pond and away from her towards his horse. Once, and that's like square in the back. And then once in the leg as he's crawling up onto his horse. And then again in like the kidney as he's riding away. Like she's yep. three for three on the on the shooting of Jon Snow in the back as he runs away. Yeah, but she's really tore up about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she she is. Like this is the one, per, the first person she's probably ever actually like loved, and yeah. he's running from her and betraying her her trust and her belief and her hopes. And I think that's right. what really gets it. Is she, he's betraying her hopes. Um, but yeah, he makes it to Castle Black. He's got the arrows snapped off from his back but they're still kind of jutting out. So the first thing they do so is they drag him in and roll him over on those <laughs> arrows. Yeah. I noticed that too. Yeah. That was, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, Sam sees him and says, take him inside. And yeah, this, this is not the first time Jon Snow will be laying down covered in blood, uh, on the floor of Castle Black. Nor so what's interesting. So let's, let's actually backtrack a little bit because we got here, Basically, because he ran away when they were attacking him and they were attacking him because he failed to basically, you know, hold up to a test and kill someone on on their request. He he had said, look, we don't need to kill this old man if we're going to steal their horses. His horses. We just need the horses. So they take the horses. The old man gets away. He sort of talks Egret out of 
killing the old man initially. Then they come upon him again, right outside Bram's window. How weird is that? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're basically now attacking the old man, the, the farmer whose horses they stole. They say, John, you know, prove that you're with us, that you're one of us, kill him. He doesn't. And so he, he's basically like then getting attacked by them. And she defends him at that point. Yeah. 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 And, uh, what's the name of the, uh, the, the big redheaded dude, uh, like the, the chieftain or whatever. Tormund Giantsbane. Tor- yeah, Tormund. Yeah, Tormund like basically tackles her to like remove her from the fight, right? And let John basically slaughter the rest of his men. Yeah, that's essentially what happens. Um, yeah. Now the whole reason this this ends up with John not killing the 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 old man and the the big thing that was the distraction that that got him away was that Bran, uh, uh, Bran uh, warged into one of the wolves and went in there and started chomping away. And yep. that gave John the the route to escape to hop on the horse and start riding yep. away. Yeah, that gives him his exit, but that's not why he didn't kill him. He didn't right. kill him because he hesitated, and so someone else stepped in and did the job for him. Yeah, Igrid right. actually mm-hmm. shot the old man with an arrow. So, so basically, <laughs> so it was Igrid with an arrow in the small town. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and we have this weird encounter—the second or the, the one of two chance encounters that Bram has with this time with John without ever seeing him, without any interaction. But he knows that it was John out there. Well, because when he worked into the wolf, he could see through the right. wolf's eyes, yeah, and knows that it was John. Yeah, right. well, I think he knew it was John prior to that didn't like can he see that it was john he did i didn't think he knew that it was john i think that they didn't they thought that they were just there there were people out there and that they were in danger mm. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i think you're right but then yeah, the, i think you're right the storm stoked up uh hodor's uh fears and anxiety and then that yeah, yeah so he started yelling hodor yeah and so that's where we oh. have that moment where we see bram kind of go into his little trance thing and calm down. Well, put him to sleep. One, he put, he put one might say knock out. Hodor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, and so now we know that tell, he can control people too. Tell me if I'm wrong, but this was, this was elaborated much more in the book than it is in the show with Bran going through Hodor, Hodor or whatever. Like he mm. put forth a lot of effort and it took a lot out of him to do it. Yeah, so in in the show they made it seem like he accidentally do it, like right. he didn't mean right. to or whatever. Right. But in the book, it's more like he he was already like training to warg into animals, and when Hodor needed to be calmed down, he like purposely did it. Yeah, he ex- expended some effort to do it. Uh, but in both the show and the book, it was um, it was an unprecedented event. Because uh, what's the um, – jeez, uh, what's the boy's name that's uh, the Jojen. green seer? John? Jojen Reed. Jo- oh, Jojen. Yeah, Jojen. Jojen? Uh, yeah, he 
expressed to Brand like this is like you know north of the wall. There's many wildlings that can warg into animals, but no and, one uh, can do it into yeah, people. And, yeah, and Brand uh, said something anyway. about um oh so um you know there's people up there that can warg into people too. He's like no. Oh. That doesn't nope. happen anywhere. You're the only one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. funny, but just 30 seconds later, then we see um, uh, freaky dude from the office UK also go into a trance as he's being stabbed and uh, controls a, comes the eagle. an eagle yeah. who then comes down and attacks John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the mysticism kind of shows up in this one scene or set of scenes. With mm-hmm. Bran, uh, the the Pirates of the Caribbean guy, and <laughs> Hodor, the wolves and the eagle. Uh, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm intentionally not looking up his name because that's what I'm going to call him from now on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the Office slash Pirates guy. Yeah. The Office pirate. Um, <laughs> who is now dead, by the way. Uh, he he. Uh, John told him, yeah, you were right about me all along and basically shoved a dagger or a sword or whatever up into his ribs and called that a day. Yeah, but I think, I don't know if they, they made it clear in the show, but in the in the book, he wargs into another animal. I think the, the eagle. That was the eagle. And, that's how, and he, yeah. yeah, and that's where he lives now. Like, he's the eagle now. Yeah. yeah like, he, the human body host or whatever is dead, but now he's the eagle. Yeah. So good yeah. luck with that. Good luck with that meeting ritual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about Bram, why don't we also then talk about Bram and Sam? Because they have a chance encounter at yet another place where Bram and Jojen and Hodor and company, I don't know the name of the fourth kid there, are all hiding out. Myra. Sharing store, sh- Mira, sharing Mira. like scary stories, and yeah. they're already in the creepy environment. They hear something outside, and it's Sam. Yeah, it's yeah. Sam and Gilly. They just happen so, to be right there. So, real before we jump into Sam's appearance, the the scary story that that Bran was telling, the the theme of it was that the great offense that this character did was disobey the uh right uh what's it called the guest right or or whatever yeah. yep. right. where if if you're under my roof and i offer you food and salt i cannot betray you you can't right which is exactly like what we just sense. saw happen yeah, yeah it's exactly it's, it's, it's the, the one wedding. sin yeah it's, it's the one scene that or one uh, the one sin that the gods cannot forgive Will, Right, exactly. So that's so, basically, you know, hmm, I wonder if that means anything about uh, so that wall, foreshadows water prey being Yeah, that, that foreshadows <laughs> the Red Wedding, which if you put those two together, foreshadows another event later on. Like this is like multi-season arc. Yeah, I mean, some, not something that has to do with Walter Frey, for sure, right? De- definitely, like, definitely not. Could possibly be. Okay, so anyway, so Sam shows up. <laughs> So they run into Sam, who just happens to be there. They happen to cross paths. Well, Sam's trying to get... Hold hold, hold on, hold on. Hold because on, you're saying just on. happens to. Well, well um, why there? Like, where is it? Where are they that they end up running into fort. each other? The, the, the night fort, which, was, which is one of the few crossings uh, along the wall. One of the few, like, passageways to get yep. from south to north. Or so there are, what, third... But, but they're not... They're... They're... 
But they're in some building somewhere. They're, yes, it's it's one of the castles along the wall. It's called the Night Fort. Yep. Okay. He doesn't look convinced. They're actually yep. in that castle. Yes. Correct. Yes. How do we know that? Uh, because they uh, they talked about it on on both sides they the, talked about it. Yep. And at uh, the very beginning of episode 309, I think that episode opens with Sam and Gilly walking through the woods and Sam explaining to Gilly what the night fort is and how they're going to go through the wall. It's the biggest Which, castle. Right, right. Well, the biggest castle on the wall. Uh, it was the the only reason they gave up on it and went to Castle Black is because right, right, right. it was too yeah, big. I understand why Sam does. Ah, yeah. How does which Bram? What, Bram, like, Bram why, why? I think you're Bram saying there? Bram with an M. It's Bram with an N. No, I'm <laughs> saying Bram. M. As <laughs> in Mister. <laughs> no, it should be an N. Short in, for Bram. N. Yes, Bram. Short My apologies. Um. So real quick before we go into why Bran knows that it's the Night Fort, I do want to point out that Gilly asked Sam why he knows all of this stuff. And he said, it's because I read it in a book. Right. And then she said, and this was one of my favorite quotes of both of these episodes combined. She said, you know all that from staring at marks on paper? You're like a wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, right. so. <laughs> two, two things from that one, this is another foreshadowing moment with Sam, with all the reading that he's doing, yes. all this knowledge that he's gaining. Um, and spoiler two, alert, he's a bookworm and a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. It, it becomes really important later. Um, and two, this is the biggest castle along the wall. The biggest one. Yep. So if they have a chance to get through the wall, this is going to be where they have that chance without going to Castle Black. So that's yep. why uh, Bran is there with his with his people. Yeah, and Bran is just, he's an educated son of a lord. Like, he just, yeah, he knows things because he's been taught by no. Maester, Maester uh, I forgot his name now. Lewin. Lewin, yes, Maester Lewin. This is one of the scenes that was changed from the book that really bothered me because I was really hoping to see how it trans, uh, how the transaction occurred in the show because the book kind of breezes over it and gives you kind of a rough idea of what's going on. But I didn't. I, I wanted more detail from the book and I didn't get that. And there's no visual representation in the show for what happens in the book. In the book. The entrance to this tunnel that's under the well, that's in the kitchen, that's in the castle, that's on the wall. Um, it's like an Irish drinking song. Um, <laughs> is actually guarded by a weirwood tree. You know, the trees with the faces in it, Richard? Mm-hmm. It actually has a weirwood tree growing up through the entrance. So the passage mm-hmm. to go through, you have to go through this damn tree. The tree opens up and allows them through. It's like this blessing from the gods. It's not shown in the TV show at all. It wasn't described very well in the books. And this is one of the things that's like, I'm glad they cut it out for continuity purposes, but mm-hmm. damn it, I was really hoping to get more information about this. Well, and another thing that, that I don't know, I, I can't remember how much, if at all, they mentioned this in the show. The, the wall itself the ice wall is not just a feat of engineering. It's a feat of magic as well. Right. So there are spells cast on this wall that like keep it strong and keep 
certain people out. So like this, this weirwood opening up for Bran and it opened up for Sam to go through from the other direction. Like that's like the wall saying like, Oh, okay. You're a good guy. I'll open for you. But it, mm-hmm. it's not going to open to a White Walker, for example, and, because of the magic that's been. And part of, part of the thing in the book is that Sam actually has a conversation with this weirwood tree to get into the, the castle. And then he comes back with Bran and vouches for Bran to go north through the same tree. It's, it's a weird well, scene. It's awkward. And I didn't like it. I was hoping to get more. I didn't. And it's probably better off. And if I remember right, the book wasn't Sam escorted like the last couple of miles to the wall, to the night fort, wasn't he escorted by someone he meets? I think so. The yeah. we, the we haven't met. Well, we've met, but we haven't met gone. in the show yet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll meet okay. later. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. the case. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, okay. So they literally cross paths. One's going North. One's heading South and eventually, Sam and Gilly return also to the Night's Watch where Sam has to explain kind of, no, 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 this is not my baby. And I'm still with Night's Watch and I remember every word of the oath and we're good. He he goes through all this, telling this, all this to Mr. um, uh, Mr. Eamon, because this is what Eamon wants to know about like, hey, how did you end up with the baby? So obviously he's been gone a while. You know, you can kind of get a scope of how long they've been gone because Mr. Eamon thinks this is genuinely Sam's baby. Mm-hmm. So they've been gone for at least a year at this point. You know, it's been going yeah, on mm-hmm. that long. And then Sam lets out, well, I've seen what's north of the wall. And then Eamon like, oh. Yep. It's kind of like, well, why the hell didn't you mention that to begin with? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> that changes Eamon's complete, like, go get ink and paper. Yep. Or yep. Cool he and, said, cool and ink we, have, we have 45 crow or uh, ravens left alive. We're going to send them all out. Yeah. Uh, make sure they're fed. They're, they all fly tonight. Yep. And so this is actually a really good transition to just touch briefly back on Stannis and Davos. Mm-hmm where Davos is now reading that message uh, Mm -hmm. and getting ready to present like the news of the day. And again, he goes and talks to Stannis and the red woman about letting Gendry go because Melisandre wants to go and burn Gendry in a flame. And they're, they're, they're telling all about this. And finally, well, as he's getting hauled off to the dungeons to serve his death sentence, he goes, oh no! Here's this letter we got from the from the wall, and they read it, and it changed. Like, why why aren't people not opening with this? As important as it is, they're not opening with the information that. Oh, by the way, well, the White Walkers are are no, coming. You're 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 combining two scenes together because he goes to Stannis twice. Once was right. to say we should let uh, Gendry go, and he said, right. Nah, we're gonna kill him. So then, then he Stannis, leaves. Then let uh, Gendry go. Right, right. And, and I had, in my notes, in my notes here, I wrote, I wrote, uh, Gendry begins his very, 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 very long rowing adventure. Yes. <laughs> oh, and by the way, he's never been in a boat. He doesn't know how to swim, but somehow he rows perfectly out into the water. Whatever. Yeah. So, yep. so, Gend- so the Union Knight goes back up to Stannis. Gendry's gone. Uh, Gendry's never coming back. Right. Now we have this message 
he read he he shares this message and suddenly by looking into the fire and getting getting some support from the god of fire or whatever the hell it is now Alessandro is like oh yeah you're right these things that are coming these are bad news we these are bigger we need to deal with them here's and, here's the thing that I hated about that if she can get all that by looking in the flames as she burns a letter from Sam uh, dictated from uh, uh, Maester Eamon, Eamon why doesn't she just ask him for to write a whole bunch of love letters that she can just burn at any time so she can see these visions instead of burning people the goddamn stake like it is it's kind of like oh so now he needs a the paper. Lord of Light the Lord of Light reveals what he feels you need to know right now. But he didn't reveal that shit like months ago and shit was going on. No, he waited until Sam was all the way down south of the wall, back to Castle Black, written a letter dictated by Eamon and sent off by Raven. Like, like, like I'm really this is the point, and I didn't realize it the first time I start I was watching the show, but this is the point where I'm really just getting tired of this God of light. Like just, just <laughs> now you just, are now just go away. Just stop. Not just, since, like you went all the way through season two and three. Yeah. And just now. Yeah. Like, now it, it's seen like the first scene. This is just, uh, I, I hated it. Well, you, you didn't, you didn't like the God of light ever since the shadow baby came out of crawled out of Melisandre's crotch and started like, slaying pretty kings i didn't like it from the first scene where they were like burning burning people at, at the beach or whatever it was yeah. like the first scene where you see her they, they were burning the uh the idols of the new gods okay yeah. whatever yeah yeah I, that was I, anyway yeah yeah beginning of season weird, two, I don't think. like her don't like this whole thing with her this what was really weird here is we have this scene where Davos, I, 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 I finally have Davos in my head. Like I finally <laughs> can figure out who the hell he is and the relationship that they have, and they and they explain that a little bit too, which is, which is good. And and now he's he's known to have let Gendry go, go, and so Stannis is like, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna have to sentence you to death. Yeah, and but, and Davos says no because you're going to need me, and here's why. Right, <laughs> and there's the message. She looks into the fire and she says, "Oh yeah, and by the way, yeah, you're right. Um, we are going to need him. You can't kill him. Yeah, he's important. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's there's only one reason for Melisandre to be in this show, in my opinion, and. It, it's super annoying that we're not there yet because I'd really like for that just to pass so we can get past her. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So yep. Irritating. Yep. Yep. Um, and it didn't even, didn't even have to be her. It no. could have been a different, uh, uh, what are the, whatever they're called, the uh, many, followers many, of the Lords of Light. Right, right. It could have been many others, but no, it, it was her. And it, it's just so irritating. Like, I'm just so ready for her to be gone. Can she be right. done yet? Can, before we before we get to the last big storyline, which is probably with Daenerys, can we take a minute and talk about the elephant in the room, or I, I mean, the dick in the box? The dick in the box. <laughs> yes, yes. So Balon Greyjoy receives 
a gift in the mail from one Ramsey Snow, who is Roose Bolton's bastard, yeah, and uh, filling in as Warden of the North. Uh, it was recently revealed that he is Theon Greyjoy's captor and tormentor. Um, Richard, and that's revealed in kind of like post slaughter discussion mm-hmm. after the wedding. Like mm-hmm. finally, we get to understand why is Theon captured? What's going on there? Who is this guy who's doing it? Now we know who it is. Yeah, and, and I, I I like the way Roos mentioned it to uh, Walter, Walter Frey, where he's like, uh, so we made a deal that we would, you know, take back the castle and we would let the uh, uh, Ironborn leave, but my bastard son Ramsay, well, he has his own. He way. does things. He does things his own way. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, technically, the returning uh, uh, Theon to the, the 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 to his homeland to the yeah, Iron Islands. I mean, a piece at a time. Well, well yeah, <laughs> and and if if he if uh, uh, Balon Greyjoy doesn't withdraw his forces, then more pieces of his son will arrive. Balon says, yeah. "Who cares?" Because he's not even a man anymore, and. Uh, his Theon's sister says, "Well, I'm going to take our fastest ship and go save my brother because yep, with our fifty greatest warriors." Yep, yep. Um, and then, well, in the letter, uh, Ramsey refers to uh, Balon's gift as Theon's favorite toy. Yeah. Yes, I took it away from him, and he, he cried he, or something he, like he that. He cried when I took it away from him. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. So, uh, uh, it happened. Yes, yes, yes. That was uh, bizarre, very bizarre. And we have another really bizarre scene with Ramsey and Theon, with <laughs> Ramsey con- coincidentally really? enough eating <laughs> an Italian sausage. Pork sausage. <laughs> that has to have been handpicked to have just the right curves and yeah. indentations let me tell you i it was in <laughs> in and, and, and when theon looks at him like what are you are, are you eating my penis he, he, looks, <laughs> he looks back at him like he's like no i'm not a monster right <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes over and basically seductively tortures him into giving up his name Yeah, he said seductively. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's 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 a weird ass sexually charged uh, uh, scene. I don't. It was just completely strange and out of place. Grotesquely erotic. Mm. Yes, like just uh, yeah, just creepy. (laughs) Really, really creepy. Yeah, he right. he basically tells him that he's no longer a person. He is no longer the son of a lord. He is just this filthy creature that reeks and is just less and oh, oh reek. That's it. Yeah. That's your new name. <laughs> yep. Very, very weird. All right. 
we saved the best for last. Can we talk about my girl, my mother, Daenerys? <laughs> oh, your Misa? You do. do you mean your Misa? <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed. All right. So when we last saw Daenerys, Dario had delivered the head of the other heads of the other captains and charged his, his, uh, loyalty, his army, his love to Daenerys and said he would do anything for her. So he's now working with them to concoct a plan to go in and attack the guards and free the city. And they're kind of distrustful. Honestly, you know, I think you should be like this is this whole thing has been shady. How do we know that this guy is good for what he says? And by the way, he's making the moves on Daenerys and that has Jorah all kinds of upset. <laughs> yeah. So beside himself. <laughs> <laughs> so in fact they all agree okay we'll go in we'll yeah. we'll follow your plan they go in the back door interesting this is just, all this is gray worm's decision like he is he, she gives it to gray worm to decide yeah do we trust him mm -hmm. do we do this or not and he's like i trust him we can do this yeah yep so yep. they he's the one that doesn't in. have the hots for for Daenerys and, and has like ulterior motives. Right. And doesn't have ulterior motives. Right. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. He does not have ulterior motives. Ulterior correct. motives. So the three, uh, <clears throat> Grey Worm and Jorah and Dario mm. go in and uh, attack some guards. They get they kind of get blindsided with a whole bunch of guards. They manage to defend themselves and then they are bombarded. Cut scene. And I think we don't find out until the end of the, the second end episode. of the first episode or this the somewhere second, along yeah. there that in fact they were successful that the, yep. uh, the, the slave guards put down their weapons and pledged to um, uh, uh, to to, to uh, I don't even know what they agreed to to basically support Daenerys, mm. and so we're we jump all the way to the end of these last two episodes, and we see Daenerys waiting, and she says I, she uses two words that are kind of pivotal here. She says, have I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've liberated them or what's the other word. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but in, in any event, she's conquered. worried about how they'll see conquer. Have I conquered right? them or liberated them? Have I conquered them? or liberated them? And right, she's worried yeah, about yeah. how they'll see her. And of course her guards are protecting her, which I thought was really weird because Presumably, she wants to send a message of peace, and she's sending a message of peace while her guards are are pointing spears at these unarmed, shackled slaves that come streaming out of the city. As, well, one as of the characters says that sometimes slaves grow to learn their chain, grow to love their chains. 
and they, they just yeah. don't know what to do. They feel lost and no longer protected and in danger when they're not like when they're free. Foreshadow much? Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll take your word. For, I may. I mean, I think I remember them saying that, and that kind of makes sense. So, uh, she gives the speech. She manages to speak in their tongue again, <laughs> some foreign tongue that she happens to know, and she hears someone screaming a word that she doesn't recognize, and it's an ancient dialect for the word mother. They're calling her mother. She sends the dragons to go and fly. She walks out into the crowd. They lift her up. Everybody's happening, happening, uh, happy, and the music is swelling. End of season. Mm. Yeah, and how cute were the dragons? They're they really adorable. Cute. They're really cute. I don't know if we see the dragons more adorable than what we see them at the end of season three. Mm. They were pretty cute when they were really little too. Yeah. Yeah. But but this isn't at night because usually when they're in the scene, it's usually at night. This is like in broad daylight. It, they're full of color. The CG on them is just amazing. But anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice anything about the end of the episode? Like the very last two seconds before the cut scene, before it goes to black? Um, what I remember is it's, it's an aerial shot, right? Where we're looking down on yep. mm-hmm. Daenerys being held Held aloft um, so, by the slaves. Yeah, so actually the, uh, the last thing that I remember seeing uh, was actually the uh, the Unsullied, the legions of Unsullied that were perfectly formed up. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, which I didn't kind of in notice. the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, you have them in formation, and yeah. in the top right-hand corner of the screen, you have the slaves hoarding around Daenerys. Yep. Yep. Um, as as you take your dragon's view flying over the crowd and it kind of goes up and pans away from Daenerys straight up off of Daenerys mm-hmm. all the people have their hands outstretched towards her they're all encircling right. her and they all form a multi-ringed circular pattern around her yes okay and I thought it was actually odd that it was so perfectly circular for I, so many rings, if you had throngs of people trying to get yep. close, pressing in, would they really end up forming such perfect circles? I did notice that. I don't. I don't think it's. I. I don't think it's circumstance. I think it's foreshadowing again because later on okay. in the story, specific circles and shapes become very important, and I think this is just the, the first indicate indicator that. That those patterns may have to do with Daenerys. That's what I took from it. Is it really the maze that was under that guy's scalp? Is that what they were forming? <laughs> oh wait, different show. <laughs> what? Yeah, a different totally show. different show. Sorry. <clears throat> um, that's okay because that made as much sense to me as what Amos said. I don't know what Amos is getting at. Um, okay, good. So yeah. Well, no spoilers. That's, right. that's <laughs> yeah. the show here. Right. So, so I think I think we covered this is uh, this was a good ending to this season. Mm. I'm I'm really happy with how the season ended. I thought it was kind of slow in the middle. 
I know that at the end of season two, Jenny was getting really kind of tired of things. I had a really hard time getting through the middle of this season. It started out strong with Daenerys. The the middle just seemed like we were just plodding along, and then we get a lot of good stuff in like the last four episodes. Mm. Uh, this season ends on a high note. Don't get used to that. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it, if you consider a wedding where everyone died, well, uh, but, high note. But that's in episode 309, and the way these originally aired, that would have been a yeah. full week away from episode 310. But 310 yeah. is, it, it ends on a high note with Daenerys being raised aloft by the crowd and kind of panning away from her, showing the, the unsullied information. Well, so. the trend, the trend tends to be episode nine is all sorts of insane and climactic. And then episode 10 is kind of, all right, let's, let's pick up from the aftermath, breathe a little bit and kind of set the table for the next season. Right. Yeah. That's but kind it, of been the trend. It usually won't end this happy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, since, you know, si- since we have, I-, I-, I don't know how many more of these to go. Uh, Something like three, 25 uh, more before we even get to the final season that hasn't been shot yet. It's tw- tw- 20, 20, so 20, there's 20, what, 27, 27. Seven seasons, right? Yes. So, so far. Yeah. So we have 37 left before we're caught up. Did some season have an oddball 12 episodes? Uh, the seventh season had an odd seven episodes. Seven, yeah. Or is it eight? I don't know. One of the two. But oh, it's, okay. off by it's, a couple. it's definitely less than ten. Yeah. So. Got and it. I believe, oh, man, we have a soft date for the 20, April 2019 or spring spring 2019 release for the last season. That sounds right. Yep. So. I think we're going to be just in time for that. Yeah. yeah, All right. Well, any other closing thoughts from either of you before we wrap this one? I don't remember season four with the exception of like two or three episodes. So this is going to be where this is, this is where we are. The show, as far as how we're recording it, is caught up to the books that I've read, and I've only watched from here on out one time. So there's liable to be a lot of nuanced detail and smaller stories that I have forgotten. So I'm I'm looking forward to season four, but the fact that I don't remember it, but I do remember season five and six, taking away the chronological part of it, it kind of worries me that maybe season four isn't very exciting. <laughs> Interesting. Because I okay. just don't remember it. All right. All right. Um, Kent? Um, I. So these were two of my favorite episodes in the entire run of the show. And oh, wow. To, to be the, the first guest on this show, this, these were the perfect two episodes to have me watch to come on. And I just wanted to say thank you. To the three That's of you, awesome. uh, in Jenny's absence, even uh, thank you to the three of you for inviting me on. This was awesome, and I had a great time. And where can people find you? RM underscore Del Noche on Twitter. Awesome, and thank you so much for filling in for Jenny. This was the- supposed to include Jenny, but for 
technical reasons, she was not able to join us on this episode. I do want to let people know about her new project. I think we talked about that this at the end of our last episode. Did we not, um, Anthony? We did. It's called Under the Hood. It is a podcast with women talking about women's issues, mm. and it is on the podcast feeds of your choice. I will tell you that if you search for Under the Hood, you're likely first to find several car-related podcasts, which yeah. probably isn't all that surprising. Cars have hoods. The best way to find this out, because this is not the hood that they're talking about, uh, the best way to find her show is to search for UTH in your favorite podcast catcher, because that's actually the name of the production organization that is putting this out. Mm, yeah. So give that a search if that's something that sounds interesting to you. And Jenny, we look forward to having you back on our next episode. Anthony, how can people find out more about what you have to say on the Internet and whatnot? Uh, at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. Uh, you can find me on the old Twitter. That's the best place. And for Jenny, real quick, at JennyJ23. Oh, very good. Mm -hmm. I Richard, almost forgot that. Richard, how about you? I can be found at Richard Gunther. I warn you, I tweet a lot, and I tweet about politics. I try not to get too crazy about it. Maybe one or two political stings a day. The rest of it, I try to have fun with the world and the crazy things and people around me. So that is it. Anthony? Let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. That's how you can get a hold of us. Please give us your feedback, your questions, and anything else you want to share with us. That is going to wrap this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. We'll be back with episode 16, where we talk about... 401 and 402. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. 